Abolition. Abolition. What happened uh, is that some of our philosophers got off base. And one of the great problems of history is that the concepts of love and power have usually been contrasted as opposites, polar opposites. So that love is identified with a resignation of power and power with a denial of love. It was this misinterpretation that caused uh, the philosopher Nietzsche, who is the philosopher of the will to power, to reject the Christian concept of love. It was the same misinterpretation which induced Christian theologians to reject Nietzsche's philosophy of the will to power in the name of the Christian idea of love. Now, we got to get this thing right. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best. Power at its best is love. Implementing the demands of justice and justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love.
weight of the world on my shoulder. As I'm getting older, y'all people get older. Most of us only care about money making. Selfishness got us following the wrong direction. Wrong information always shown by the media. Negative images is the main criteria. Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria. Kids wanna act like what they see in the cinema. Yeah. Whatever happened to the values of humanity Whatever happened to the fairness and equality Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity Lack of understanding leading us away from unity That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling under That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling down It's no wonder why sometimes I'm feeling under Gotta keep my faith alive and love is found South Carolina streaming live with you and our guest today. Nice, nice. So in our season premiere last week, we introduced two of the new state organizers leading the way to abolish constitutional slavery in their states for the for the 2023 session with Michigan's Edmund Rushton and representing North Carolina, Abraham Said. We're also, we were also joined by lead organizer for the ASNN, Savannah Eldridge. So this week, we continue introducing the class of 2023's slavery abolitionist state organizers, the new breed. This week, we're joined by Amber Phelps of Abolish Slavery VA and Ohio's Gina Kinney of EPIC, Ensuring Parole for Incarcerated Citizens. Now, of course, Gina has been on the show a few times before, but we're introducing as part of the new breed because Ohio had to start over. So that's why she's part of the new breed. And we'll also remember the late, great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. by sharing a few of his speeches you've probably never heard before. And as always, we'll close the program by bringing the voices of the abolitionist ancestors back to life for a new generation. So before we jump into tonight's topic and bring in our guests, how was your week, Max? First of all, that uh, opening track uh, was one of those speeches I was referencing. We only used a portion of it. The whole speech mm-hmm. is available on our website, Abolition Today, on Facebook in its entirety. But I'm quite sure a lot of people have never heard that, where he explained uh, how the philosophers 
had made this mistake of separating money, I mean, love and power uh, when they were one and the same. So I thought that was powerful. And of, of course, the black eyed peas going back in the day and asking the question, where is the love? Um, because that kind of leads into my week, man. You know, we're starting fresh. We've had our first um, ASNN network meetings. We've had our first state ops team meetings. We've had our first uh, state ops meeting with the state organizers. And uh, it just seems to me like like people are carrying heavy loads, you know what I mean? Like we've been fighting for a minute. You mentioned Gina, she's one of them. We've been fighting for a long minute in this thing. It's like traveling with people who right. and we're, we're on a thousand mile trek across the desert, right? And we're about 700 miles in. It's too late to go back and you just barely can make it to the last part. You know what I mean? That's where we at right now. We, we have been worn down. Um, this is not an easy fight especially talking about the horrors and atrocities and how they affect us personally, uh, as it, just as it affects Gina's husband and my sons uh, and many, many others, and you personally, you know. Uh, this, right. this really has been a wait. And we're in 2020 part uh, four now, or yeah, 2020 part four. <laughs> so right. still all the 2020 craziness going on for the past four years. But I think things are about to change. We just saw a green comet go across our skies that hasn't been here for 50,000 years. And I believe in, you know, signs and symbols. And we've mm-hmm. seen throughout this effort, and I was one of them. So I think we're going to get our second win, and we're going to kick ass and take names just like we've been doing. Yusuf? Yeah, you know, uh, reflecting on what Dr. King was just saying, you know, when he said, And one of the great problems of history is that the concepts of love and power have usually been contrasted as opposites, polar opposites, so that love is identified with the resignation of power and power with the denial of love. You know, (laughs) yeah, those those words were just so powerful. Uh, He he has another speech where he mentions – something similar when he when he talked about what is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love you know that was uh the powerful speech that he gave it was called where do we go from here you know mm-hmm. and just showing how you know, we need them both together because when we talk, we talk about abolishing slavery, you know, you have to see where the two have to come together. You know, we have, you know, we've been contrasted. So you have those of us who are abolitionists. We're coming from a place of love, and then we're facing people that are in a position of power. And, of course, they see, you know, giving that freedom as relinquishing power. So it's that's that's the clash there, and that's why we have like this huge hill that we're trying to climb over. I don't remember who said it, but there was this quote that uh, justice has no bigger enemy than uh, ignorance tied to power, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and we see a lot of that too. Like we just had it during our network meeting. I'm probably not supposed to say this, but I'm going to say it any damn way because I'm Max Parthas and I do things like that. Mm-hmm. My superpower is blurting. I tend to blurt things out, so I'm going to blurt polls on the national level to determine how many people in the United States even know that the 13th Amendment allows for legalized slavery. 
let alone that they have been state constitutions as well, and that number stays the same. It does not change. And that is a strange thing considering all the amplification we've done here over these years, just on this program alone, not counting the amplification coming from every other corner. We've seen so many articles, so many uh, international uh, articles and videos and films and you name it. Like, how can that number not change? Uh, it was 18% knew about the 13th Amendment, 18%, 13%. That was two years ago. Right. It should be up to like 50% at least now, but apparently... You would think. Yeah, you would think. I, I don't know what, where the, who they're polling. Nobody's ever called me. <laughs> Nobody's ever called you, right? No, I, no, I, I haven't gotten any polling, calls. But the number isn't changing based on their polls. And with the amount of education we're putting out there and the amount of exposure we're putting out there, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, well, it is hard. It's hard to believe. But then again, we know what uh, Dr. King said about the, uh, what is it, sincere stupidity and willful ignorance. I forgot how it goes. Uh, nothing is Conscientious more dangerous. stupidity. Yeah, nothing is more dangerous than conscientious stupidity and sincere ignorance. Nothing. <laughs> not nuclear bombs, not Ebola viruses, not... AIDS, uh, not starvation, <laughs> sincere ignorance, and conscientious stupidity. That's a pretty powerful right, thing so, to consider. Yeah, and I'm sure when they're but, out there telling us, why don't you be more like MLK? I'm sure this is not the MLK that they want us to be like. All right, well, let's go ahead and bring our guests in and get this conversation started. Uh, we've got two this week. Uh, the first uh, – oh, not the first, but um, the first I'm introducing is a newcomer to the program, Amber Phelps. She's the lead director for Abolish Slavery Virginia. Uh, she's a mother of three boys, and she says she got a couple of bonus kids, too. I know how she feels because we raised a few extras ourselves along the way. And she's a student <laughs> at George Mason University and finishing her degree in social justice advocacy, and she's a proud slavery abolitionist. Um, being, she says, being a part of this movement to finally end slavery of all forms is truly fulfilling a lifelong dream to be a change maker and fight the injustices that plague her, our society. And she's honored to be doing this work and will continue until Virginia and eventually our country has fully abolished slavery with no exceptions. And of course, returning is uh, Gina Kenny, uh, mother to three of another one wife to a wrongfully convicted, factually innocent juvenile lifer, co-founder and president of EPIC, which is ensuring parole for incarcerated citizens, and uh, one of the uh, lead organizers for the ASNN on ending slavery once and for all in Ohio. Uh, she's a steering committee member for Building Freedom Ohio, BFO, and co-chair of the Advocacy Committee. And she says, we are fighting to eliminate as many collateral sanctions possible for our returning citizens. Um, that was a quick intro for her. And she says to feel free to shout out Isaiah Andrews, Andrews and uh, that she was named in his resolution of condolences yes. by the city of Cleveland. Uh, so let's go ahead and unmute those two. Uh, I'll start with Amber. Welcome to Abolition Today, uh, Amber. Thank you so much, Matt. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing my voice a little bit here. <laughs> but uh, I'm very, very excited and honored to be here and uh, very excited about um, 
I'm a little bit new in the fight here, but very happy to be part of it and very excited uh, about all the changes we're going to make this year in 2024. Um, sorry. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here. And just knowing that Virginia now is being represented in this fight is great. You come from one of the states that have no language at all about the slavery abolition. And so your effort is very much like New Jersey's and Texas to insert anti-slavery language to help protect the citizens of Virginia from exploitation through the federal amendment, correct? That is right, Max. Uh, so we have to get that language in there. We're, we have um, a bill written out, the language or the wording of it already written, and I am right now contacting senators, uh, state representatives, trying to find someone to uh, is willing to sponsor the bill. Yeah, we talked about that during the state house meeting, um, and we're going to help uh, with that and see what we can find out, uh, who we can get on this. If you're listening and you're a representative out there in uh, Virginia, and this is something that you think might be a legacy you'd like to see on your record, uh, feel free to reach out to us. Let's go ahead and over to our returning guest, uh, Sister Gina. Welcome back to Abolition Today. As always, it's a pleasure to hang out with you guys. Always a pleasure to do amazing work that we've been doing for the last few years. Um, I'm just super excited. Uh, as Max mentioned earlier, it's been quite the fight here in Ohio. We've not been successful with even getting more than just an intro hearing and our first hearing for proponents. Um, but this go around, this is Epic's third time. Um, pressing the issue, and we feel extremely confident that this is our General Assembly where we will have it on our ballot come 2024 to hopefully end slavery forever in Ohio. Um, thanks, you guys, for having me. Um, Ohio has been a tough show to crack. Uh, we've been getting a lot of help, of course, from Cecil Thomas, Senator, former Senator Cecil Thomas, now Congressman, right, Cecil Thomas? Correct. Um, um, yeah, no, actually, he's a state rep. Now, State transitioned over just a little bit, right. yes. Um, yeah, so we've been getting a lot of support and help from him, but there's been so many issues in Ohio's legislative committees. Uh, what we dealt with there was known as the gag rule, which they did in the 1850s, um, mm -hmm. and they're doing to us now, where they wouldn't even schedule us for a committee hearing. So you ended up having uh, just the chairman of the committee that we needed to go through suddenly become the decider on whether or not Ohio is going to have slavery in its constitution. And that was very frustrating for us. What's different this year, you think, uh, in the legislation committee that was so deadlocked and wouldn't pass anything for several years? What's different this year, you think? Well, our problem last year was the fact that our legislation went into the Senate Judiciary Committee. Unfortunately, not just our own legislation didn't go anywhere. Um, they had no bills that were voted on, passed, or denied. Like, they just weren't voting at all in the Senate Judiciary Committee, which was really concerning to us because why not? Why isn't there not one bill? Whether we wanted it to pass or not, why isn't anything being voted on? Um, and, you know, Max, Senator Cecil Thomas, the second time around this last General Assembly, he was actually very quick with introducing the legislation because I don't know if you remember the first time it was towards the end of our General Assembly. Um, so we introduced it in March in the first year, because we go through two years of the General Assembly. He introduced it in March the first year. Um, that was the introduction hearing. We finally got a proponent hearing, which we all 
came together and submitted test, uh, written testimony for that. Um, we try to be there in person, but unfortunately here in Ohio, what they like to do is they, we don't really know when the agenda, what, what's going to be on the agenda and when. We kind of find out like the week prior, um, they send out like a notification of the bills and stuff that are going to be on the agenda. And it's kind of like really time sensitive to get this, you know, these written testimonies or even um, in-person testimonies or even getting down to Columbus to be there. So what had happened was, is we had a hearing. Uh, I had actually taken off work to go down there and so did several of our board members. But the problem was is they canceled the meeting and made it for the next week and we just weren't able to obviously request off work and stuff again. That actually happens a lot here. And I'm sure, Max, you actually have been a part of a lot of the Zooms with Senator Cecil Thomas. Here in Ohio, it's not even about the people. It's more so about the power of the legislators. Uh, they're they're um, infamous for willing and dealing bills. And we actually just tried to emphasize the fact that we don't care what your agendas are. At the end of the day, it was 2022. Slavery should not even be practiced in any form for anyone, period, under any circumstances. However, we weren't obviously powerful enough to get that through their head. They still, um, they still acted on absolute power. Uh, one thing that really made me mad was the fact that the chair, Senator Manning, introduced this supposedly huge criminal justice bill. It was like... 900 pages. It really didn't do anything. It did pass, by the way. They did get that one to go through during lame duck session. Um, but the problem was is that he, he introduced it after, um, you know, we were pressing the issue with trying to get another hearing for proponents. Because after we got the proponent hearing, we were hoping to get the next hearing and they would vote. But the fact of the matter was is they only took proponent testimony and didn't even make a third hearing for proponents. Not that we feel that there's any out there. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe that's why we didn't get the hearing. But it's, it, this should be up to the people, not the people of power. Um, this time around, though, I do feel with the momentum, with our Freedom Five states, um, it did bring a lot of recognition to our movement. And I finally, and Max knows, we've been trying to get media coverage forever just on the movement itself. And we were finally um, connected uh, with Tyler Blue, yes, Axios, Tyler Buchanan. And the way we were connected was through ACLU of Ohio, which that was another conversation we've been steady talking about is getting the ACLUs of our states involved. Now we've also talked like, you know, usually they're on their own, um, you know, their own fights and their own battles and whatever, and we respect it, right? But what was very humbling to me was the fact that um, Gary Daniels of ACLU was reached out by Tyler about this movement, and he said, you know what, let me put you in contact with the person that's actually been putting in the work for this movement. Um, and I think that he did, he put out, he produced a very great article and even got um, in touch with Senator Cecil Thomas, so he even had uh, a part in producing that article. Um, Tyler, uh, Axios, they're, they're wanting to be involved. They want to know everything, you know, that's going on. So. I feel with media coverage, we have, um, I've met with a couple of other legislators that were newly going or newly coming into the General Assembly um, that didn't know about it either and made sure that I let them know that Senator Cecil Thomas has been heading the movement for the last couple of General Assemblies with Epic, like reach out to them, like the more the merrier, right? Um, this time around though, the difference is, is that we're ready. We're geared up. Um, we 
we thought that this would be an easy fight because it's common sense. Make it make sense, right? Um, but we've seen that it's not as easy. Like Max said, a thousand miles, right? And we're like literally 700 miles there. We're too far deep in it to just turn our backs and just give up. We have to continue to keep fighting. So I'm very yeah. thankful that um, the momentum with the Freedom Five really did put a push for Ohio because, as Max said, this is we've been a part of Abolish Slavery National Network from the beginning. And um, I know with Savannah, our lead organizer, like we both have been, and we have you know states coming on board. They're they're in it for a few months, and they they actually won last year. You know, so. I feel like this is our time. This is our turn. Um, and you guys know I always considered Ohio the Alabama North, unfortunately, but it is. Um, I just think that th this, this, this is our year. You know, everything happens, you know, like Max said, signs and faith and timing and all that stuff and symbols like this, I know, is for sure our go. You know, they mentioned you in CNN.com as well. <clears throat> There's an article that mentions oh, Ohio's efforts. Um, Ohio is a state that adopted an exception clause before the 13th Amendment. It was one of those states mm -hmm. that saw what other states like Virginia had done, not Virginia, like uh, Vermont had done, mm -hmm. and decided, yeah, this is a good idea. We can use this to legalize slavery uh, in our constitutions and did it. I, yeah, I, I believe, Max, you educated me. We were the second. The second one to do we it right after second. Virginia. Uh, so there was eight iterations, eight iterations of that exception clause leading up to the 13th Amendment. It wasn't some random thing. This had been going on for 90 years in various iterations mm -hmm. across the country when they finally realized this was the compromise with slavers that we can get away with. So rather than be slaves, all you had to do was charge them with a crime, and it would allow them to be slaves all over again. Uh, they thought of it, I believe, as more humane. Because at the time, there was like 4 million slaves when slavery was allegedly abolished in the United States. Uh, but there was only about a quarter million people who were involved in convict leasing. Uh, but that was mm -hmm. the early stages of it. That was just a transition period. Look at it now, right. <laughs> you know, where there's 2 million people, 2.4 million people in prisons and jails in the United States. 2.4 million slaves in the United uh, yeah. States. Mm -hmm. He just said it nicely for you. 2.4 yes. million slaves. Yep. Anybody convicted to the, uh, today is subject to the 13th Amendment upon conviction. That's all it takes. And it's double conviction or double uh, enslaved if you have it in your state constitution. There's 25 states that had uh, exception clauses and 25 states that didn't. One of those that didn't is Virginia. So let's go back over to Amber. Amber, the history of Virginia and slavery is very deep. Only seven years after the 13th Amendment was ratified, the Virginia Supreme Court in Ruffin versus Commonwealth declared that prisoners are effectively slaves of the slaves state. Slaves of the state. Yes, right. sir. Slaves they, of the they, state. They also incorporated the civil death uh, rules where if you're incarcerated and convicted, you're treated as a dead man, as if your estate is treated as if you were dead. Not just lose citizenship, but you don't even exist no more mm -hmm. as a human being. Just a body. Um, just a body to make money off of. Yes, sir. Right. Uh, tell me a little bit more if you know something about that. Um, well, first of all, uh, if I can, I'll just say that I've always been, uh, I grew up affected by the uh, carceral system. 
my father was in prison for most of well, a large portion of my life. Um, I've had many other large, uh, loved ones who were in the system um, for many years. Um, so as I um, began to learn more about uh, the prison industrial complex and everything and how it works and how unjust the system is, um, really from a young age, I was um, I knew that that there needed to be changes made. Um, so and, and like you said, Virginia uh, and slavery are unfortunately connected very, very deeply, um, which is why it's, it's, it's far past time for us to, to finally dismantle that foundation that's been laid down and abolish slavery in our state. Uh, thank you so much, Amber. Um, even to the present day in Virginia, we're seeing the reflection of the intentions that this was all meant for. Uh, there's an article that came out from TKVINWilsonLawyer.com that Yusuf uh, shared with us today. And in it, they're talking about more prisoners serving longer sentences in Virginia. And they say that uh, GEO's contract, it's the only private prison you have there, in Virginia has what's known as an occupancy requirement. The Commonwealth agreed to make sure that GEO's privately operated prison is kept at 95% occupancy or mm -hmm. greater at all times, regardless of current crime rates. And that means that the state is obligated to keep using a third-party provider even when it has less need to do so and paying for the prison. Mm -hmm. And the state is pressured to maximize incarceration rates. 95% uh, contract, and I believe that's for 25 years. So Geo is sitting there like a fat rat. We only got one prison, but it's going to be full, 95% right. plus for 25 years. Right, no matter what. No matter what. <laughs> no matter what. Uh, they go on a little bit more. I do want to read a little bit more of it. They say that's not the only kind of pressure private prisons exert. Across the industry, they prefer to see more people put in jail for longer periods of time because each prisoner is a windfall. And what does that mean? Uh, you've heard me say it many times. It's the warehousing bodies that makes them mm -hmm. the money. Um, and that has led to an intense lobbying effort by prison corporations, which has corresponded with rising incarceration rates. Now, if you translate that into English, it means that the prisons are making money, buying politicians, and then the prisons yeah. are getting filled because the politicians are creating more laws or making sure more laws are being enforced that put more people in prison and keep them there longer. Amber? Yes, and they absolutely, and and they. That, I'm I'm so glad you brought that up. And and part of their job is to scare the public, is to let uh, you know to criminalize people and to uh, to scare the public into uh, putting these people in power who are going to go ahead and. Uh, oh, don't worry, we'll be tough on crime by making harsher sentences, longer sentences, um, minimum sentences, and that way they can keep more people in locked up for more amounts of time because that way they're continuing to make money off of them, which is ridiculous, which is, I mean, and that's not even considering the, the prison labor that they're doing for no pay, you know, little to no pay, um, which is just, it's, it's obscene, it's, it's crazy to me that that's, that's going on, and, and honestly, it's crazy to me how long um, it took me to even find out about, you know, all those aspects and how many people don't know that that's how the system is working. Um, I mean, if you look at, if you look at our, 
uh, our number of incarcerated people as compared to other countries is off the charts, literally just off the charts. Like no, no one else does this like our country does. Absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, I think there's somebody else who's probably wiser than all of us that I want us to listen to, and that would be the man whose birthday is today, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, prepared a few speeches, as, as we said earlier in the intro, uh, that people may have not heard before, uh, very likely. It uh, shows more dimensions than the sanitized version that you've been spoon-fed about how he had a dream, and it was about bringing his kids together with other kids of color to, and judging us not by the color of our skin, but by character. But he had other things that he had spoke of just as important, and one of them is the idea of freedom and working towards it and what type of people you might have to work with. So let's listen to Galilee in 18, I mean 1958. Um, and when we come back, let's have a little conversation about what we heard. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. Today. Abolition. Abolition. They are free today. They are free today. They suffered and sacrificed for that freedom. Went to jail for it. Some of them died for it. Nehru is now a great man in this world, leading the second most populous nation in the world. Nehru spent years of his life in British jail. Hatma Gandhi spent years of his life in British jail. We must never forget this lesson of history. Now I'm afraid that some of us are forgetting this. We, we feel that it is just going to roll in on the wheels of inevitability, and so we sit down by the wayside and do nothing. It doesn't happen that way. Years ago, a man lived in England by the name of Darwin, and he developed what is known as the theory of evolution. But Darwin's theory applied only to the biological realm, and he conceived the man biologically as moving up from some type of animal existence now to his present state of personality. But there was another man who lived in England who had read the works of Darwin, and he tried to apply this concept to the whole of society. And so men came to believe that progress was inevitable. Somehow men felt that things were just evolving to a better state, and so you don't have to do anything, they'll just want to do it anyway. History has proven that that just isn't true. Human progress is never inevitable. It only comes through the tireless work and persistent efforts of dedicated individuals. It's not a process of sitting down waiting. You've got to do something about it. You remember when the children of Israel got out of Egypt and they got out in the wilderness and sent some spies over in the promised land to see how it looked over there and what the conditions were. Spies came back and reported and they said, there are giants in the land. Yes. And it's going to be hard to get in there because giants are in the land. Then you remember Caleb and Joshua as well. Joshua went over and they came back with uh, what was the minority report. They said, yes, there are giants in the land, but in spite of that, we feel that we can possess the land. 
Now, as a result of this, three groups emerged, three groups developed that Moses had to deal with. After they discovered that it was going to be a cause uh, that there were giants in the land, three groups developed that Moses had to deal with. One group wanted to go back to Egypt. Yeah. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They preferred the flesh pots of Egypt to the challenges of the promised land. Now there are some people today who are have so conditioned themselves to the system of segregation and discrimination that they want to stay down in the evil group of segregation. <laughs> this is happening to people. This is happening to them. When I was living in Atlanta years ago, I remember going in the area and there was a man who play his guitar and he would play it over and over again and one day I stopped and I heard him saying something he was singing and I discovered what he was saying that day he was singing been down so long that down don't bother me <laughs> now you have some people like that you have some people just like that they they have come to the point of freedom of exhaustion. And so they, they, they would rather stay in Egypt. They condition themselves to the system. Then you had another group to develop there. They were the people who didn't want to go back to Egypt. They hated Egypt. They had suffered in Egypt and they knew the disadvantages of Egypt. But they did not want to go through the sacrifices involved in getting to the promised land. And so they just wanted to hang around out in the wilderness. I believe Moses was talking to this group when he said, We've been in this mountain long enough. Because they wanted to hang around on mountains down out in the wilderness. They wanted freedom, but they didn't want to go through the sacrifices involved in gaining freedom. They wanted the fruits of freedom. But they didn't want to do the necessary work involved in gaining. And now there are some people like that today. People like that today. They wanted, they hate, they hate Egypt. The Egypt of segregation and discrimination, they hate it. But uh, they don't want to go through the sacrifices involved. These are the people who, who are afraid to see that they will lose the job. These are the people who, who, who have the philosophy that, that I've got to live and I've got to make a living. And in order to do that, I, I, I must not get too involved. These are the people that have certain positions. And because of the security of their positions, they sacrifice the security of their freedom. They want freedom, but they they don't want to suffer a little bit. They don't want to sacrifice for it. These are the people who want to 
to remain at one spot. They want it to be worked out by somebody else, and when it's worked out, then they'll go on and jump over and do it like that. Then Moses confronted another group. Thank God this is the beauty of history. He confronted another group. It was probably a small group. They looked over. They faced the fact that there were giants in the land, but they believed with Caleb and Joshua that they could possess the land. They were determined to go. They knew that they had difficulties ahead. They knew that although they had conquered Egypt, there were the Midianites and the Moabites and the Philistines and the Hittites ahead. But in spite of the prodigious hilltops of evil and the gigantic mountains of opposition, they, they believed they could go to the promised land. They moved on, they moved on with faith in God and with the strength of their conviction. Today, who will be in that group? Abolition. 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 Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas, Yusuf Hassan, and our guests, Gina Kenny and Amber Phelps. You were just listening to the Martin Luther King speech at Galilee. That was in 1858 at Galilee Baptist Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. Ah, I was so caught up that I wanted it to go like another hour or whatever. He, he just... <laughs> really laid it out right there where, you know, just describing the three groups, and we see it today in the abolitionist movement. We have those who, you know, just uh, are so afraid because of of the tremendous task in front of us and this huge giant of the government in front of us. So they're just like, oh, just let things go with the status quo. Then you have those other that other group where, you know, uh, they're afraid of what's on the other side. You know, we hear that a lot when everybody's like, what comes after? But then he finished it off in that piece there where he just described those who moved on faith and, you know, just hearing us as abolitionists, like we know, like we have this faith, we're talking about signs, and you and I mention this all the time, Max, of how this is a, this is a God-sanctioned mission because God created everyone free, you know, and so that's why we move forward even though they are giants ahead of us. So, yeah, I was really caught up in that speech there. I felt that one. I myself have never heard this speech, so I have to go and I have to listen to the the speech in its entirety because I was really moved by that. Absolutely. Um, the three groups with the one that wanted to go back to Egypt, um, the ones that didn't want to make any sacrifices, just want things to stay as is. Mm-hmm. And those who were afraid to give up the security of their position. Um, yeah, and right. Well, the quote he said, he was talking to somebody and they said, I've been down so long, down don't bother me. And he called it freedom right. of exhaustion. Uh, I just don't want to fight no more. 
You know, so I, you broke me. I gave up. And that's what it is. You're broken. They broke you. You you give up. But, you know, even with the Giants in the land, we got mm-hmm. some David standing around here with slingshots. We got two of them on the right now. <laughs> so that's that's right. The first David, as if it were. Uh, Gina, any comments? Well, I just want to say I'm the strongest of the three, no matter the sacrifices, no matter, you know, what's standing us, what opposition we have, we're going to continue to find whatever we have to do, whatever it takes to make sure that uh, in the end we do abolish slavery here in Ohio, as well as across the United States. Uh, Like we've been saying, um, there shall be no slavery period under any circumstances for anybody for any reason. Um, Slavery should have been abolished a long time ago. Um, And now that we're woke and now that we know, it's time for us all to stand together and do something about it. It doesn't matter how hard the task may be. We all need to just bond together in unity and get it done. In unity. Exactly. And the abolitionist movement is one of those uh, organizations. Well, not organizations, one of those movements where you have people of all faiths and ethnicities races and beliefs. We've got Republicans and mm-hmm. Democrats, independents. Uh we got white, black, Asian, Latinos, uh we got we everybody, you know, we've got yeah. people who are living check to check, working next to uh people who are basically state attorneys, you know? <laughs> and right. it just covers all the bases. Uh, some of our meetings can be pretty amazing to see. All right, so let's go ahead over to Amber then. Amber, any commentary on what you just heard in regards to the speech in Galilee from Martin Luther King Jr.? Oh, I thought it was so powerful, Max. I thought that um, that what he was saying about, you know, you can't just sit by and be idle. You can't do it. You can't just expect that, oh, it'll get there eventually. Or, oh, oh, it's going to come. You know, it's it's not inevitable. We have to We have to fight for it. We have to make sure because until we are all free, no one is free. And uh, I think it's just so easy for people to get comfortable and to get scared or just, you know, to turn their backs to it. A lot of people don't want to hear that that slavery is still legal. You know, a lot of a lot of people don't want to hear that because they know that it's wrong. They know that it's something that we have to fight for. So they'd rather just pretend that that it doesn't exist. But that's that's not an option anymore. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Yusuf, what does that even mean? Slavery is still legal. What what does that mean in real world effects? Yeah, so in real world real world effects, I'll give you an example. So say I own some farmland and I just, you know, go out and take a van and I just snatch up some day workers off the street and I take them to my farmland and I chain them all up and force them to work. Well, because of slavery being quote-unquote abolished, that would be illegal for me to do. And they will charge me, and I would go to prison for kidnapping, false imprisonment, forced labor, all of these types of laws. And this is under the 13th Amendment. This is under the 13th Amendment. But at the same time, that same person who just got sent to prison, if he's forced to work in prison, they give him a job in the kitchen. And he say, you know what, I don't want to work in the kitchen. Well, what they can do to him, 
they can force him to work. They can take rights and privileges from him for refusing to work. And that's totally legal because the 13th Amendment exception clause doesn't apply to someone duly convicted. So the for 13th any Amendment, right. So the 13th Amendment only made it illegal when an individual does it. When the state does it or the government does it, then it's totally okay. Um, How's that? Gina, that, you want, that, that was good. Uh, that was good. Uh, I'll add a little bit more to it in a moment, but let me go ahead and bring Gina in. I heard you speaking. Uh, you wanted to say something? Um, it's just, you know, it's just, it's crazy to me that it doesn't, you know, if you were duly convicted of a felony or of a murder or of, you know, molesting a child, like it's for any crime. And here in Ohio, jaywalking, crossing the street without a crosswalk, that's a right. It that's can a crime. Be, right. It can be for misdemeanors as well. It can you be can for have a misdemeanors as well. You can jaywalk, have a warrant, you're going to jail for the warrant. So now you're enslaved just for jaywalking. Well, I mean, we don't know what they did prior, but even so, like, it just, it makes no sense to me. And here in Ohio, our prisoners are automatically classified with a job code, even if they work or they don't work. That's how they get their state pay. So uh, I just want to throw out there, because, you know, I've been in this fight for years now, and I've been making a lot of noise here in Ohio about this. Uh, my mm-hmm. husband's been wrongfully incarcerated for, we're going on 22 years now. Um, most of his time down, he's never really had a job. He did probably about a decade ago when he was in uh, max security. Um, right now he's in a level two. Um, when he when he moved to the level two, they ended up giving him, it was something he wanted to try. So he knew someone in the kitchen. He got a job in the kitchen, realized, like, it, it wasn't for him. He woke up sick a couple of days, couldn't go to work. Well, they wrote him up for that. And, you know, he's obviously been a part of this fight just as much as I've been, you know. Um, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, if they try to send you to the hole or anything like that, this is going to open up a whole new ball game for us, right? So just recently, now, mind you, they ended up just um, removing him from the kitchen, but for some reason they never switched his job code from the kitchen down to a porter, which is obviously someone that cleans up anything. They walk past the CEO, he tells you to clean it, you got to clean it because you're classified a porter, even if that's your job or not. And if you mm-hmm. don't do it, they can write you up for um, disobeying a direct order, and you can get sent mm-hmm. to the hole, you can get a ticket, it could affect your parole, it could affect, affect you going home, it can you know, take visits, phone calls, all that. So recently, within the last month, they had approached him and told him they had to reclassify his, reclassify him on his job. And I'm like, and now mind you, this is like literally a week or two after I just did the um, article with uh, Axia, right? So we were waiting for days, and then they came back to him, um, and basically his job <laughs> Every day at 3.30, he has to fill two five-gallons of buckets with ice and water. It's minimal, but if my husband didn't want to do it, he could get in trouble for not filling up those buckets with ice and water every day. When he's out on visit, because I visit him every week, he has to find someone else to do it for him. Like, it's just, it's insane to me. You know, and he's, he's only making, you know, they're making $17 state pay a month, and then if, you know, you owe things, they take all that from that, and child support, they take all that from them. You know, and I just firmly believe, like, I'm not saying 
you know, if you have to pay them $15 an hour, pay them $15 an hour. However, me, if I was to be incarcerated with three children and I'm the sole provider of my children, I should, if you're going to force me to work or make me work, um, I should still be able to provide for my children that are living at home. You know what I mean? Period. So if you're going to make people work, at least give them an affordable wage. And don't punish them for being sick or, you know, not being able to, you know, get out of bed or whatever. Like, because that's, prob- that's the real problem of it. We understand that there are people that enjoy having these jobs because it makes their times go by quicker, right? But they should not be forced and then penalized or, you know what I mean? They shouldn't be penalized for not wanting to or not being able to. Um, it should right. be, hey, we got this job for you. You want it? Okay. If someone chooses to work for pennies on the dollar, so be it. But don't punish them for not wanting to or not, you know what I mean, or being too sick yes. to do so. Or being Period. unable to do so. Exactly. Um, we do have a caller I want to bring in, and I also want to get Amber's thoughts on what we heard, but I do want to share some of mine, too. So let me just do that real quick. The question I asked Yusuf was, what does that mean in real-world effects? Uh, that slavery is legal. Well, slavery is a crime against humanity, but it's also an extremely profitable one. It has built entire empires through slavery. Mm -hmm. And so when you make it legal, you create what we call here as an economic development program. Uh, There's an article that you have posted in our uh, planning area, the punishment of economy. You should check that out. Uh, which goes into it pretty deeply and shows how the people are exploited, but it creates an incentive to incarcerate, which is why we have mass incarceration. You're generating resources, funds, jobs, money, power on incarceration. And just like these for-profit prisons now are built on that 95% guarantee of occupation, uh, it creates an issue where when – prison is for profit, it creates a demand for prisoners. And then once you have this demand for prisoners, the next thing that comes into effect is white supremacy. They don't want to do it to themselves. They're running shit. They're going to do it to the historically oppressed, which is why in places like Ohio, where black people only make up 13% of the population, they make up 45% of the prison population because they're subject to this discrimination through this legalized slavery. And your lawmakers, who are very racist on many occasions, like the one that just was elected out in New York that did the white power symbol while he was being sworn in, man, how bold can you be? The line right. uh, Santos, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They create these laws that incarcerate more people, like sagging pants laws and marijuana uh, being illegal and many other things. It has even gotten to the point where we have re- brought back in debtors' prisons. We talked about it last week where a, a, a grandmother, like 80 years old, 81 years old, was arrested and incarcerated because she owed $77 on a water bill. Like, how is that even possible? But that's what happens when slavery is legal. All right, let me go ahead and bring in our caller. It's Edmund Rushton uh, from last week, one of the new breed. Welcome back to Abolition Today, Edmund. Good to be back, Max. How are we all doing? Michigan in the house. Good, good. <laughs> hey, Michigan. Hey, how are we doing? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, this is um, 
it's great that we're talking about, you know, this all in the lens of punishment today because I feel like this has been dominating um, the week that I just had, you know. Uh, thanks to, to Savannah, we got um, that news about the adjustment to the penal code in Alabama. Um, yes. With KIV signing that executive order um, mm-hmm. that now knocks down encouraging a work stoppage from a severe level violation to a high level violation, which means instead of having all of your good time wiped from your record, instead of having all of your uh, uh, good behavior uh, accolades uh, wiped from your record, you have three years worth of that wiped from your record, which, you know, I, I don't know how long it takes to accrue three years of good time, but I know that's got to, you basically got to be serving a life sentence to even accrue that much time. Um, so it's still brutal. It's still atrocious. Um, but right now the the opposition is, is feeling like that was a, a measure of, of meeting our movement in the middle, of appeasing us. And, uh, and so it, it definitely set a fire in my gut a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's switched the tone, I'd say, of how we're doing our deliberation up here because now we, we know pretty much the step-by-step process of how an opposition can meet this bill. Um, we've seen how people have tried to shut it down, obviously in Alabama, in Louisiana, in California. Um, and so we're, we're watching every, every little bit of our state legislator like a hawk right now. Um, and we know that as we're going to be introducing our bill at the end of this month, next month a bill will be coming out to uh, uh, achieve a, a certain level of sentencing reform for Michigan's incarcerated population. Uh, Senator Stephanie Chang will be uh, pursuing a, a truth in sentencing measure that's going to try to get us to finally come to terms with the fact that some of the sentences we've slapped on people here make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, you, you've got a, a Mr. Pete Martell on Friday told me about a woman in Huron Valley who uh, went away uh, for a felony murder case, and her son had just been born at the time. I think he was something like, like two months old, and she did 47 years in Huron Valley for this. And she died before they could get her out. And so her her son knew her until he was two months old, which we all know that's that's not much time to know your own mother. And he never got to sit with her, to hug her, to to have a a, a true heart to heart conversation with her from anywhere inside of a a correctional facility. And so that's that's just one instance of of how you know you you hear a story like that and you're ready to just walk into in my case, Lansing, but wherever your state capital might be, it, it just makes you want to walk in there and go like, there's there's no negotiating with this bill. This bill is an end to slavery. We can't deal with people who are saying, well, we'd love to we'd love to support this measure, but and then tack on, you know, you've got to back us on this or you've got to add this to your bill. You know, the whole point of what we're doing is to remove the butts, right? We're, we're right now we're living in a country where slavery is illegal, but if you're convicted of a crime, no, it's not illegal. So you know it, it's uh, it's sort of a, a good and bad because you know we look at Alabama. Technically, right now, what Alabama put into the works this week is more progressive than the penal code 
that is on the books in Michigan. In Michigan, you can get the maximum amount of solitary confinement time. You get the same amount of solitary confinement time that you would get for murder or sexual assault or inciting a riot. You would get the exact same amount of solitary for that as you would encouraging a work stoppage or refusing to work. So we know that this is not just a matter of punishment or deterrent. There is an economy at work in our prisons and our jails, and that is a wheel that cannot stop moving the same way that the cotton industry could not stop moving and could not stop turning in the 1800s. Thank you for that, uh, Ed, and thanks for calling in on that. Uh, I remember a few years ago there was a a study done on solitary confinement because it had been increasing by as much as 17%. And the study found out that not only it, it it was increased because there was a monetary benefit behind it. It was as much as 20 to 30% more uh, revenue generated by people in solitary confinement than those in general population. So the prisons was putting people in solitary confinement to make freaking money. In places like Texas, there's as many as 500 people now who have been in solitary confinement for 10 years or more. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Amber, let's move it over to you. Uh, I know you heard a lot. Anything you want to comment on? Thank you, Max. Well, um, as far as you were saying before with uh, incentivized, um, you know, or the incentive to to have prisoners who uh, throw people in jail or prison, you know, that goes right back to uh, right after the 13th Amendment with the black code that they set up um, and just arresting people for for whatever, arresting black people just for for whatever, excuse me. Yes, anything they could so they could put them right back on the plantation, right back on. They, they let them off and just throw them right back on. And and you just see that carried over to today, and it's just so crazy to me that uh, just the parallels uh, that this is still happening. And um, and just like we've all like we've all heard, like we all know, like the slavery should just there should be no exceptions. We all know. No, no one's going to argue that slavery is right. You know. It's wrong. It needs to be off of our books. It, it's insane that it, that it still is. So. Well, I don't know about that no one comment because I've seen quite a few yeah. of them <laughs> come up and tell us <laughs> why it should stay there and why they shouldn't get rid of it. And how or some it, say that it was a good thing. Or the, yeah, or the good thing, but mostly they're always concerned about how will this affect our correction system? How much money will it cost us? It, it's mm-hmm. never about freedom or rights. <laughs> you know, what is this going to cost us? Look what they did in California. California, uh, they had, yeah. They had just gotten $100 billion in surplus funds, right? And it, it, within a 48-hour period, they turned around and said to us that we can't afford to end slavery in California because it'll cost us a billion and a half a year. Uh, if we're forced to pay minimum wage for labor. And that's not even something we were asking for. We just wanted <laughs> right. to remove the language. That's all. <laughs> but nonetheless, that was the concern that they had. Uh, it, it's crazy. I'm, but I'm what's adding, crazy uh, to me is back then is did they question the slave owners back then how much they were going to lose out on or how much it would have costed them? or You know what I mean? Like nobody cared back then about abolishing slavery and how much it would cost. So why is it different now? Because we now know and we're woke and we know that, you know, mass incarceration is a result of the 13th Amendment. And obviously in every single state across the United States, 
um, you know, populations have just been nothing but overcrowded. So now, you know, now we're seeing it, now we know, and now we're trying to change all of this. What does it matter what it's going to cost to end slavery? There shall be no slavery, period. Like you guys claim there wouldn't be many years ago before we were blinded and not taught the appropriate way. That's our message for the Republican Party this year is finish what you started. Very simple. Absolutely. You, you keep talking about how you're the party of Lincoln, then finish what you started. The world is not going to end if you end slavery, but lives will certainly be changed, and it may cost you some money. But so damn what? We just spent $100 billion over to Ukraine. Uh, you know, with that type of money, you could build five or six modern cities to hold millions, <laughs> So it's not like money is a big issue in America these days. It's, they don't seem to worry about it with the trillions that they're spending. And slavery, finish what you start. Um, I have a quandary at the moment, um, and maybe you guys can help me figure it out. I, I don't think I've even ever asked our guest this before, but I'm going to ask it for the time. <laughs> um, I had this speech, right? I've got two speeches lined up. It's an either-or circumstance. The first speech is long, about 12 minutes. A lot of people have heard they're aware of that Martin Luther King Jr. won a Nobel Peace Prize. But many have never heard the speech he gave when he received it. And it is just, uh, it's mind-blowing yeah, epic. and powerful. It's, epic. Epic. It's, it's certainly epic and worth hearing. Uh, but if you guys want to have, like, really, we want to continue this conversation, I'll skip that, put it on the, the social media site people, so people can hear it, and we'll play something a little shorter. What would you like to do? You want to hear that long when, speech that's powerful, or you want to just keep I think talking? people need to hear it, Max, now, not yeah, waiting until it, it's posted it. up on the website. Drop right. it on them. I think so, too. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I, <laughs> I was hoping they voted that way, Max. I really <laughs> was, because right. I was like, yeah, they need to hear this, and we need to have this in our archives. Yes, and, and we need to have it in our, our lives, in our minds. This is Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. Uh, during his acceptance speech in the auditorium of the University of Oslo on the 10th of December, 1964. I was only a month old. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition Today. Your Majesty, Your Royal Highness, Mr. President, Excellences, ladies and gentlemen, I accept the Nobel Prize for Peace at a moment when 22 million Negroes of the United States are engaged in a creative battle to end the long night of racial injustice. I accept this award on behalf of a civil rights movement which is moving with determination and a majestic scorn for risk and danger to establish a reign of freedom and a rule of justice. I am mindful that only yesterday in Birmingham, Alabama, our children crying out for brotherhood were answered with fire hoses, snarling dogs, and even death. 
I am mindful that only yesterday in Philadelphia, Mississippi, young people seeking to secure the right to vote were brutalized and murdered. I am mindful that debilitating and grinding poverty afflicts my people and chains them to the lowest rung of the economic ladder. Therefore, I must ask why this prize is awarded to a movement which is beleaguered and committed to unrelenting struggle, to a movement which has not yet won the very peace and brotherhood which is the essence of the Nobel Prize. After contemplation, I conclude that this award which I receive on behalf of that movement is a profound recognition that nonviolence is the answer to the crucial political and moral questions of our time. The need for man to overcome oppression and violence without resorting to violence and oppression. Civilization and violence are antithetical concepts. Negroes of the United States, following the people of India, have demonstrated that nonviolence is not sterile passivity, but a powerful moral force which makes for social transformation. Sooner or later, all the peoples of the world will have to discover a way to live together in peace and thereby transform this pending cosmic elegy into a creative psalm of brotherhood. If this is to be achieved, Man must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. The torturous road which has led from Montgomery, Alabama to Oslo bears witness to this truth. This is a road over which millions of Negroes are traveling to find a new sense of dignity. This same road has opened for all Americans a new era of progress and hope. It has led to a new civil rights bill. And it will, I am convinced, be widened and lengthened into a superhighway of justice as Negro and white men in increasing numbers create alliances to overcome their common problems. I accept this award today with an abiding faith in America and an audacious faith in the future of mankind. I refuse to accept despair as the final response to the ambiguities of history. I refuse to accept the idea that the isness of man's present nature 
makes him morally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. I refuse to accept the idea that man is mere floatsam and jetsam in the river of life, unable to influence the unfolding events which surround him. I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I refuse to accept the cynical notion that nation after nation must spiral down a militaristic stairway into the hell of nuclear annihilation. I believe that un unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right temporarily defeated is stronger than evil triumphant. I believe that even amid today's mortar bursts and whining bullets, that is still hope for a brighter tomorrow. I believe that wounded justice, lying prostrate on the blood-flowing streets of our nations, can be lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men. I have the audacity to believe that peoples everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies, education and culture for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom for their spirits. I believe that what self-centered men have torn down, men other-centered can build up. I still believe that one day mankind will bow before the altars of God and be crowned triumphant over war and bloodshed and nonviolent redemptive goodwill proclaim the rule of the land and the lion and the lamb shall lie down together and every man shall sit under his own vine and fig tree None shall be afraid. I still believe that we shall overcome. This faith can give us courage to face the uncertainties of the future. It will give our tired feet new strength as we continue our forward stride toward the city of freedom. When our days become dreary with low hovering clouds, and our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, we will know that we are living in the creative turmoil of a genuine civilization struggling to be born. Today I come to Oslo as a trustee, inspired and with renewed dedication to humanity. I accept this prize on behalf of all men who love peace and brotherhood. I say I come as a trustee, but in the depths of my heart, I am aware that this prize is much more than an honor to me personally. Every time I take a flight, 
I'm always mindful of the many people who make a successful journey possible. The known pilots and the unknown ground crew. You honor the dedicated pilots of our struggle who have set at the controls as the freedom movement soared into orbit. You honor once again Chief Latuli of South Africa who struggles with and for his people are still met with the most brutal expression of man's inhumanity to man. You honor the ground crew without whose labor and sacrifice the jet flights to freedom could never have left the earth. Most of these people will never make the headlines. Their names will never appear in who's who. Yet when years have rolled past, when the blazing light of truth is focused on this marvelous age in which we live, men and women will know and children will be taught that we have a finer land, a better people, a more noble civilization, because these humble children of God were willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. I think Alfred Nobel would know what I mean when I say I accept this award in the spirit of a curator of some precious heirloom which he holds in trust for its true owners, all those to whom truth is beauty and beauty truth and in whose eyes the beauty of genuine brotherhood and peace is more precious than diamonds or silver or gold. Thank you. Abolition. Abolition. You just heard Martin Luther King Jr.'s Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech in Oslo, Norway, on December 10th, 1964, at the University of Oslo. Welcome back to Abolition Today with Max Parthish, Yusuf Hassan, our guest Gina Kenny and Amber Gina Kenny of Ensuring Parole for Incarcerated Citizens out in Ohio, and Amber Phelps of Abolish Slavery. VA, and we also have on the phone with us again, Ed Rutchton from Abolish Slavery, Michigan. That was so powerful, and he said so, so, so many things that are quote-worthy, you know. Uh, one, one that just jumped out at me, and I'm thinking about the people of Louisiana, when he said, this is why right temporarily defeated is stronger than evil triumph." You know, just showing that, you know, and even when we think about the struggles you've had there in Ohio, Gina, that, and you said it, you said it a few moments ago, that it's going to eventually win. You know, that evil is never going to triumph, and that's why right temporarily defeated is stronger than evil triumph. Uh, in fact, on that note, I'll pass it to you first, uh, Amber, that way uh, – we make sure we get you in early, you know, so Amber, you get first crack at 
oh, on January 13th in Boston, they unveiled a statue there, which is dedicated to the moment that his wife Coretta and him hugged after that speech. So go ahead, Amber. Don't forget to unmute oh, yourself. We got everybody on mute. We've got everybody oh, on mute. Oh, that's My our bad. fault. Yeah, uh, let me bring you back in. One, two, and three. There you go. You should be open now, Amber. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, that was very, very powerful. And um, before I was uh, unmuted, I was saying that uh, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that again, really, because I had never heard that. Um, and right now, right now, especially with um, Louisiana, which I felt so strongly for, like I was, you know, because I know Louisiana, Louisiana really thought that um, we had it this year, but we just keep fighting, we keep pushing, and um, and we know, and we know what we're doing is is right, and what we're doing is making a difference, uh, even when even when we do lose. So. With that Thank in you, mind, Amber. we just keep. Yeah, with that in mind, we just keep pushing on. Keep on pushing on. Um, Brother Edmund, was uh, was it worth it? Oh, oh yeah. God, absolutely. You know what made it double worth it? You, you put it over a bad boy beat. I was. <laughs> I, 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 you have me tripped up. I'm sitting there trying to get inspired, and all I'm thinking in my head is, it's all about the Benjamins. What? I get a 50 pound bag of Ubers off. Anyway, um, but yeah, man, that that's 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 a very powerful moment, and I, you know, that, that man, Dr. King, he, uh, anytime he knew that he was on the precipice of something that that required, uh, you know, that he knew had the potential to be a, a monumental moment in American history and world history, that dude, that dude never missed a call, um, and that's. There's something, you know, we, we got to keep channeling in this movement today because I think it, it most closely mirrors what he was trying to do. Um, my my favorite speech by Martin Luther King is his The Other America speech. He gave it at a yeah. high school. It's actually pretty right. close to me, um, uh, Gross Point High. And it's, it's a very odd recollection of it in history, I guess would be uh, the way to put it. Um, if you go on YouTube and search the speech, they play the version of it that he gave a second time a couple weeks later at Stanford. And it, it bothers me because in the caption it says he gave it in Detroit, but that he did two of them. He did one in Detroit, and then a couple weeks later he did it at Stanford. Hey, you know, California is California. But Gross Point, Michigan, right outside of Detroit, that is, you know, that that's where everybody was hiding during the rebellion in 67. That's, that's where all your rich, uh, you know, your mm, all the rich white folk are, are right? That's damn right. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, when he gave that speech at, at gross point, um, you can find transcripts for it. You can't find the recording, but you can find transcripts of it. And you see in the, in the brackets and in the parentheses, he's getting heckled and booed and people are trying to get him off stage and he's got to, you know, go back and forth with them. But what he had said in that speech was, you know, our, our movement is not one for any specific kind of privilege or for any kind of specific right. What we are trying to do is get to the root of what America's decency can be. And that's, that's the you know, we're, we're, ending slavery doesn't necessarily liberate everyone. You know, they, they might want to say that if we do.
do this. We're opening the floodgates. Everybody's going to be let out of prison immediately. But the truth is, you know, always that, to go to. Years. Yeah. And so I, I think it's not that, even the goal is, of the abolitionists. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, it's a it's it's a movement to to further that search for what America's decency can right. be. And as long the as we got this dream, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll leave you with that. I'll 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 let it go back to Amber and and uh, Gianna over there right. in Ohio. Um, and I really appreciate y'all having me on. Thanks for calling in, Ed. Yeah, thanks, Ed. One of the things that stood out for me is he says he he does not subscribe to the idea that we're unable to influence the events around us. And that's almost like our mantra. We know that all it takes is any one of us to make a difference. Um, You know, it it does take a village. Yes, it's going to need more than one person, but any one person can change everything at any moment. You never know who that person might be, just like Mark King Jr. had this huge impact. So let me go over to Gina. Uh, Any commentary on uh, what we just heard and discussed? I ain't going to lie. My abolition mentors, yourself and Yusuf, always be schooling me because I have not heard it myself neither. Um, But I'm not going to lie. I kind of got goosebumps because I I, I envisioned myself, you know, back when Isaiah Andrews, and for those who don't know, Isaiah Andrews was wrongfully incarcerated for 46 years, third longest serving incarcerated person who was convicted of a crime he did not do. um, And it was for the killing of his wife. So, um, that speech kind of like made me envision my speech for, you know, that resolution of condolences on behalf of Isaiah is, you know, I appreciate the nomination, right? But at the end of the day, this could be anybody. And it, it, it all involves compassion and the will to want, right? Um, no one in their right mind that we're having conversations with about slavery should ever be like, oh, no, 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 it should just be there, Right. But what bothers me the most is even when you have these conversations, you know, they're like, wait, what do you mean slavery is still legal in practice? Well, yeah, read the 13th Amendment. Um, the fact that they're not even willing just to, you know, give it their all, you know, it's, it, it could just take one person, right? Look at Martin Luther King, but not all of us are even equivalent to Martin Luther King, right? So it, it's going to take time and sacrifice. And obviously Ohio has been a great example of that is, you know, we've had a lot of opposition from racist legislators, especially our, our our first time, Ohio's second time, but our first time with Senator Cecil Thomas with SJR5. If you go to Ohio Channel, you can rewatch, um, you know, the the live of, you know, what was said. Uh, but, you know, they were claiming, oh, no, 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 people fought in war, wars to abolish slavery, the Boston Tea Market, and, da-da. and these were white legislators saying this, right? <clears throat> to a well-educated black man who introduced this legislation. And me being a white woman, when I'm watching him say these words out of his mouth, you could see the redness in his face, and it was making him angry. And I'm just like, wow, if you can't tell he's racist, then I don't know what else would show that. You know what I mean? So it's just what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And, and like, we've all been saying this day and age, we we don't care what effect this will have on the prison industrial complex. That's not our problem. At the end of the day, we're coming together as, you know, individuals and citizens and the people showing you that, look, enough is enough. We were fooled. We were all fooled. We were all blind, blindsided. 
And now that we know we are going to stay in the cause, not just for our own states, but, you know, throughout the United States itself, to end slavery at any cost, by any means, we don't care what it takes, we don't care what will happen after as long as slavery is officially abolished in all forms for anybody, period. Um, but, yeah, it was very uh, powerful to hear that. It gave me goosebumps because, you know, even though I was, you know, recognizing that resolution of condolences, it was like anyone who had the privilege and the honor that I had to, you know, bond with Isaiah and take care of Isaiah and be there with Isaiah and love Isaiah the way he deserved to be loved, there's no need for rec- – like anybody should do that. We all should have that type of empathy and compassion and sympathy and you know, that if we have that opportunity, we should just do it, right? Um, I just wish more people um, weren't such cowards, I guess you could say, you know? Uh, yes. Yes, I understand. I, I, one of the things that really stood out for me the most was the beginning of the speech where he was mindful mm-hmm. of the fact that just the day before, black people were being water hosed in the streets as well as dogs being sick on them. So, you know, that infamous picture of the dog snatching at the guy with the uh, cop mm-hmm. who looks like uh, Joe Biden is trying to hold him. That happened the day before. And also the day before, uh, these white uh, people in Miss Philadelphia, Mississippi, uh, were murdered for trying to do nothing more than help American citizens receive their due voting rights. That was mm-hmm. it. And they were murdered for that the day before. I can only imagine how much of the world he felt was on his yeah. shoulders. And at 40 that churches were burned. Yeah, right. 40, 40 churches, churches were bombed burned. and burned. And here you are walking in and they offered you a peace award. Like, did you not see the news yesterday, y'all? <laughs> that would have been the whole of the speech for me. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it, was just so, it was so powerful. And this he's a man of convictions. Must like myself, no compromise. This is where I stand in this conversation. I'm not moving from that. And one of those is his belief in nonviolence. And I'd like to compare that to what we're doing right now. This is a nonviolent movement across the country to achieve the goal of ending slavery once and for all in this nation so that no one in this nation is subject to slavery ever again. Um, to restore rights to people by ending that slavery that had been stolen from them and were never someone else's to take to begin with. Uh, so I'd like to just point out that comparison of what we're doing here. Uh, another conviction he had was love. <laughs> you know, he just felt like love could really make all the difference in the world and uh, to achieve brotherhood through that. And speaking of achieving brotherhood and sisterhood, uh, an example is throughout the history of the United States, particularly through the mass incarceration period, we never really see the police come out and say, you know, we're not going to enforce these laws. Uh, they created right here in South Carolina the second pants laws, which are obviously racist and uh, directed at a particular community. And two people got uh, killed behind that, case of death. Remember, Yusuf? Uh, two people tased yeah, to death over sagging, freaking pants. And no policeman ever said, we're refusing to enforce these laws. The guy that arrested the 81-year-old grandmother what, didn't say, I'm refusing to enforce this law because uh, it's uh, immoral, unjust, illegal, on and on. But nonetheless, in Illinois, the governor just signed an executive order that basically bans assault weapons and high-capacity magazines from being manufactured or sold in the state. 
and dozens of sheriffs have suddenly stood up and said, we are not going to enforce these laws. We swear before God and two other white racist Republicans that we are not going to do this. Um, so, I mean, if you know that what they're doing to a group of people already is slavery, what makes you think any of your rights are protected? They're not willing to protect the rights of the people. So we need those who would stand up and do that to look over here at what hap- is happening already, going to happen to you. Uh, but what is already happening to people of uh, black and brown, uh, poor, right now. Uh, I'll pass the mic with that. You know, I don't want to get on a rant. <laughs> but we, we I just really quick want to say when you're done, Max. I just oh. Go ahead. Go okay, ahead. I thought Go I was ahead. so muted. Uh, really quick, um, you know, in Ohio just recently, and for actually got, a bill Wait, can you start over, it, Gina? Because your mic kind of went in and out. Okay. How about now? Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. We hear you. Okay. So in Ohio, we actually just had one bill signed by the governor uh, where it will make it harder for Ohioans to vote. Um, they are requiring, you know, before we were able to use like a utility bill or our voter card or, you know, we didn't have to have an actual photo ID to vote. Now, governor just signed a bill to where we we are required now to have our ID. Um, And that also puts a burden on, you know, people that are in the services that want to vote as well. You know what I mean? They can't even use their, you know, their government IDs or whatever. Like, we have to use an actual state ID um, to vote. (laughs) Also, um, which was also noted in our our article with Axios, they're trying to implement legislation to where any amendments to the Constitution, instead of it having a 50% plus vote, um, it has to have 60% vote in order for them to move a constitutional amendment through our legislation. So they're definitely still trying to oppress us every which way they can with just trying to make, you know, what's right is right. Um, and it, it's just, it's sickening to me how much they continue to oppress just common sense laws, legislation, and constitutions. Like, you're really targeting the people with trying to make a change and or just changes in general in our constitution by making it a 10% increase in order for a, a, a bill to even be recognized. Like, to me, that's absurd. If, if it's 51%, that means the people are for it, period. How do you go 60-40? So just within the last couple of months, like, they really, really tried to oppress voters here in Ohio on everything, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's it's sickening. I honestly would wish Martin Luther King was still alive just to see what how he would feel, just even about that. Like, how, how can you continuously well, keep oppressing the people in your state? I, I think they had yeah. a version of him come back through boondocks, and they and said how he felt. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> Shout out to Aaron Magruder, man. That's genius. Uh, so I do see Gina. Uh, it was just on Friday, January 6th, that the bill was passed as House Bill 458. And already there are some lawsuits that are going uh, uh, fighting it the voter suppression law, the Northeast Ohio Coalition for the Homeless, Ohio Federation of Teachers. Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans, and Union Veterans Council 
are suing over Ohio's new voter suppression law. So uh, definitely, I mean, that's just like our seventeen-year-old going on with that. Oh yeah, I know that. that I knew that that you know that was going to be one that would definitely open a whole bunch of cans of worms. I mean, it should, right? So I'm glad that, mm-hmm. you know, even though it, it was just signed, you know, that there's that many people already, like, on board, ready to file lawsuits. And honestly, I hope it's the same, you know, that same scenario when we finally get to the point where we're able to, you know, get slavery abolished here in Ohio and the voters, because I know the voters will, um, you know, pass the amendment. And I just, I hate living in Ohio anymore. Doing this work, it just makes me so angry and so mad that like the people the people of Ohio we don't have the power it's obviously the legislators have the power and they're for us so when will we start holding them accountable when will you know what I mean like this immunity stuff where they all have immunity we can't say nothing to them we can't do nothing to them like all that stuff has to stop like you people are no more of a person than me Amber Edmund Max Yusuf like we're all human beings what makes you feel more of power of authority than any citizen, you know what I mean? In your state, you right. should be listening to the people. Uh, if I may, um, ahead, that goes right along. Uh, that goes right along the uh, the voters' uh, oppression, and it goes right along with uh, another big incentive of mass incarceration is power. If you have mm-hmm. all these people who can be making choices and voting, and and you know being part of society to demand what's right, and if you take all of them and lock them up and you take away those votes and you take away that that power, you, they, you know, steal that power from them, you know, it's just to keep their, their power in place, to keep keep everyone else in check and keep their them where, you know, they want to be on top, making the rules, you know, doing whatever they want Well, that's just like felons not government. being able to vote. That's a big category of people. So, you know, and here in Ohio, felons are able to vote, thankfully. Um, but people here that are um, actually awaiting trial are able to vote too. But do you think there's people going into these county jails, uh, making sure people are registered or, or getting, you know, their um, ballots filled out and sent in? Like, no, they're not. Like, these people actually are are awaiting trial or awaiting a court date, and they're legally allowed to vote. But yet, you're you're oppressing them to the point where they're not able to. You know, we're, we can't just go into a county jail and. You know, hey, do you want to vote? Here, here's your ballot. Fill it out. We'll get it. You know, there's none of that going on. So with that big part of population, right, just imagine if every state did allow felons and their their incarcerated people awaiting trial or whatever the case may be, conviction, whatever, what, what would the outcomes be if we did allow the people that are mostly affected by all these outrageous laws and things, given them the opportunity to vote? I mean, we know change would really happen then, but I think that they know that. They know that, Absolutely. which is why they continuously keep introducing these silly legislations yes. and, you know. Um, they don't want the population to vote. Remember, Alec, uh, his, the founder of Alec, the American Legislation Exchange Council, actually said that out mm-hmm. loud. The less people that vote, the better it is for them. They want to control who votes. Right. So it's basically stacking the deck. Um, and and Matt, say that one more time. Bill. I know it's Alec, but say what it means again, because I think a lot of people, I just learned about them probably within the last three years, but I feel like they are someone that anybody out here, just in any type of movement, like you really need to be in tune with what Alec yes. is. Yes. It's the American Legislation Exchange Council. We did a whole program on them called The Money Machine. Uh, check out mm-hmm. our archives. And also they're spoke about in the film 13th 
uh, directed by Ava DuVernay. Uh, the American Legislation Exchange Council basically was a group of legislators and um, private industry that were doing what we just said right now. You know, they were writing the bills that were passing the law. So you had prison companies like Core Civic, that was formerly known as CCA, was writing the bills like three strike laws, you know, uh, for example. It got so bad that at one point, one of the legislators was up there reading this bill that he was trying to pass, and it had the header from CCA or from Alex right on the top of it. He literally just read it from their memo. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's Alex. Um, uh, check our archives for the money machine because Alex is just part of it. And in that, we played the clip of the founder saying we want less people to vote uh, and why he less people to vote. All right, we're coming up towards the conclusion of our program. we got another segment, but I want to give everybody a chance to say a few things and tell us how we can help. So let's go ahead and start with Amber. Amber, out in uh, Abolish Slavery VA, uh, is there anything that our listeners can do to assist you? I know you need supporters, physical bodies that can help you with some of the things like uh, getting out uh, and organizing. And I also know that you need, you need resources, so money. Um, so can you let us know about those things, your website, and any comments you want to make? Uh, yes, the website um, The website is actually, the name is a little bit long there. It's actually a, a, on Wix, uh, but you can find that on our Facebook and our Instagram, um, Abolish Slavery uh, VA. Um, we definitely do need supporters. Uh, we have um, some talks going on with a couple of organizations in the area, but right now we are very short of, of any kind of help, even just spreading awareness um, for our organization, uh, just, you know, sharing on, on social media. Uh, we really do need uh, people to coming together. We have the, um, the, the, on January 31st, the Advocacy Day. So um, I'm actually trying to set up um, a meeting right now, and it would be great to have supporters there with me um, to meet with a state representative. So um, anything you can do to, uh, to help or to share awareness, anything, um, I would love to have the help here. So, um, again, that's Abolish Slavery VA. That's our Instagram handle and uh, Facebook. And uh, the site is right on there. Um, check it out. I put a lot of work into it. <laughs> so thank you so much awesome. for having me here today, by the way. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's our pleasure, Amber. And we look forward for to having sure. you here again as you move towards a win and making history. Thank you so much. All right, uh, let's go ahead and pass the mic to uh, Sister Gina. Well, as always, it's always a pleasure to be a part of Abolition Today and Abolish Slavery National Network. Um, it's been an absolute honor just doing work side by side with everyone. Um, we've we've really gained some really great bonds. As far as help for Epic, um, we have a coalition letter that we started this go around. Um, obviously, legislation has to start over. The 135th General Assembly just started. Um, so we're waiting on Senator Cecil Thomas to find the, the time to introduce the bill. But in the meantime, we're working with Auburn Productions. Uh, with their, uh, we're partnered with, they asked us to partner with them for a screening of Angolia, Do You Hear Us? We're planning on the end of February um, putting all of the details together and hosting this event. We're actually just kind of waiting on Senator Cecil Thomas because we would kind of like to incorporate it together. Um, if not, my organization, as well as Building Freedom Ohio, will just, you know, t take the buck and do it on our own and host, obviously, elsewhere. Uh, we are definitely looking for some in-kind donations to kind of keep our campaign going. It's not anything that we've asked for before, but we feel that, you know, without money, 
uh, when it comes to fighting these types of fights. Uh, there's really no movement. We've done the best that we could. If you're if you're capable of donating, uh, our cash app is you know the dollar sign Epic E P I C in Ohio. Um, we also have a PayPal. Uh, you can find that uh, just searching for our email address, which is Epic the letter X and then Team 2020 at gmail.com. Um, our website's www.epicxteam.org. I know Abolition today really just put all of our ways to reach out to us on social media. Our Twitter's up there, our Instagram's up there, our Facebook's up there. So if you need quick, easy access and finding out about Epic in Ohio, uh, just go to the Abolition Today Facebook page. They just literally just swarm their whole entire page with our information. Um, we're basically looking for coalition partners, though. Um, any organizations that feel like, you know, they want to partner with us, uh, we're willing to, you know, bring this win in together. We don't want it to be just, you know, epic, you know, leading the way. We definitely need all organizations, all hands on deck. Um, if you're a citizen of Ohio and you're, you want to support the upcoming legislation, please reach out to us through email. We also have a, a little Google Doc where we're collecting, you know, information from people so that when the legislation is really moving and we're, we're, we're geared up and ready for the real fight, we can just easily reach back out to people. Um, again, something that we really didn't do the last two times we fought. This time we're just geared up. Um, we're three steps ahead. Um, and we, we appreciate all the support. Um, all of the partners, uh, we'll take anything right now. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Gina. As always, uh, we appreciate you, and it's a pleasure to have you here come, uh, with us in this fight, uh, getting it done. And we look forward to the victory that Ohio is going to celebrate this That's year. right. Um, well, even when Ohio more. wins, I'm still in it to win it the rest. <laughs> uh, we had one more caller. It looks like we may have lost him. Uh, yep, we did. Yeah, Ed, uh, Ed hung up a while ago. He had to go. Ed, Ed hung up a, a while ago. Um, what we heard tonight has been very educational and inspiring. Uh, as we always say, and, and is our slogan here on Abolition Today, uh, you can choose to look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know. Did you know exactly know. what we're talking about. You know exactly what's happening. And it's not like this is something from way back in the past. This happened in my lifetime. As I said, when he gave that speech, I was in this world. Um, I was in this world when the uh, state troopers were called down to New Jersey in tanks uh, to uh, quell the riots that were happening there over the same reasons, uh, pointing machine guns at pregnant black mothers. Uh, I was mm -hmm. there when they put us into sardine cans, a.k.a. concentration camps called projects, and watched us murder each other, hope, hoping it would be that way. In Patterson, New Jersey, at the Alabama Projects, they had the highest AIDS rate in the entire nation, and that's where they were sticking our people in places like that across the country. Uh, I've seen what they have done to us, and I want to see the end of it. That's what I want to see, and I believe everybody that comes on this program feels the same way. And that ending begins with opening a door that has never been opened before in this country, and that's the end of slavery. Yusuf? Yeah, Max, that's the end of slavery. That's what it's all about, and that, that's why I feel when uh, 
Dr. King said towards the end of his Nobel Prize speech when he said, I accept this award in the spirit of a curator of some precious heirloom which he holds in trust for its true owners. So, you know, likewise from back then to up to now, you know, we have an end goal in sight, but there's no time for awards and accolades because the fight has not ended. The struggle has not ended. It's not going to end until, as the saying goes, none of us are free until all of us are free. Until all of us are free. Um, you know, we when we talk these, to people about the situation, we really are serious when we say these are crimes against humanity. Uh, the people who are disenfranchised, we were talking about the voting. Let's look at that number. Mm-hmm. What, what is it? You're talking about uh, around 6 million people who are former felons that can't vote because of that. That's 6 million. You're talking about another uh, 2.5 million that are in the jails and prisons. So now we're up to Mm -hmm. uh, like nine, almost 9 million. And there's 11 million people or 12 million people who go through the jail systems every year. It affects as many as 20 million people every damn year. That's a lot of people, man. Yeah, the the numbers are like 70. Right, yes. and then he says and that it, we have 77 million people in the country that has a criminal record. That's a third of the country. Right, one in three uh, American adults can't participate in their own damn system. How is that democratic? How is that just? How is that right? It's it's not, uh, and it's got to end. And we're hoping that we can see. Well, you know what? We we're not even hoping. We know the end is going to happen. We're hoping to see it right. in our lifetime. And we've seen a lot of miracles, and we participated in a lot of miracles over the past few years because nobody ever thought we could do what we've already done. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was impossible right. until we did it, and now it's possible. Uh, and I think that this issue is an easy button that any legislator can put forward to be proud of having this as a part of their legacy. I was one of the people who sponsored the bill to end slavery in my state. After 157 years, 158 years, I was there to get it done and support it. That's all you got to do. Um, and you got to stand right. up uh, because in the end, what did Martin say? We won't remember the words of the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Of we our expect friends. you to do something. If you believe in love and you believe in righteousness, and if you say that God or is your Lord and he has these commandments, well, here you have the opportunity to, to follow and do what is right. It's always the right time to do what's right. Wow. All right, All right Yusuf, we're going to close this out. Uh, you want to yeah, play we got you. We got that? you. All Absolutely. Right. So definitely, definitely thank our sponsors and our partners. Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We, Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Samer Urge, that's Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolish Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash abolition today. Also, subscribe to Abolition Today on Facebook. That's where you'll see all the news, information, and music you hear on the program. We're also available on all major podcast platforms. You can also catch all of our archives at abolitiontoday.org. Remember to join the movement at AbolishSlavery.us to become part of the solution. But 
We know our listeners have all tuned in, and they've already checked in with that. But to anyone that's new, make sure you go to AbolishSlavery.us. That gives you all the updates of what's going on across the country in the Abolish Slavery movement. You can also text END THE EXCEPTION. That's one word, no spaces. Text that to 52886 and follow them. This will send a signed petition on your behalf to your congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. Now, for tonight's Bridging the Gap, we have something that it's a tremendous story. And when you hear it, you know, this is going to be the barbarians who started the Civil War, Episode 7, the Charles Sumner story. And that's going to be followed by No Compromise by Micah Stampley. Anything you want to say about the uh, Charles Sumner story, Max? We have uh, spent some time talking about Charles Sumner before, but I just want to let people know that uh, something they didn't mention in this clip is that when he's speaking now about slavery and an anti-slavery forum at Congress, he's talking actually about the 13th Amendment and the exception clause and literally prophesizing what will happen if it passes and the results you'll hear in the clip. Wow. So we're going to jump right into that. Remember to uh, tune in next week. We'll be back next Sunday, uh, January 22nd, God willing, with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Thank our guests. Thank our listeners and all of our supporters. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Abolition. Abolition. He was a barbarian and a senator from South Carolina. His name was Preston Brooks. And on May 22, 1856, he beat Massachusetts Senator Charles Sumner with a cane on the floor of the Senate in retaliation for Sumner's anti-slavery speech. Historians describe this as the moment the country was pushed to civil war. After the beating, with a thick cane that had a gold head, Sumner was knocked down, he was blinded by his own blood, and he collapsed lapsing into unconsciousness, beat Sumner until his cane broke, and then kept going. Well, thousands rallied in support of Sumner in Boston, Albany, Cleveland, Detroit, New Haven, New York, Providence. Over a million copies of Sumner's anti-slavery speech went nationwide. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the most influential writer of the time, said after the incident, I do not see how a barbarous community and a civilized community can constitute one state. I think we must get rid of slavery, or we must get rid of freedom. While Sumner recovered, Southern leaders ridiculed him, accused him of cowardice for not returning to the Senate. Well, the Massachusetts General Court, they reelected him that November, but he couldn't last the day. His recovery took years. During the Civil War, Sumner became the leader of the radical Republicans, who at that time represented the North, and were demanding an immediate, permanent eradication of slavery without compromise. Abraham Lincoln described Sumner as my idea of a bishop and consulted him as an embodiment of the conscience of the American people. In April 1865, as the war was drawing to a close, Lincoln proposed voting rights for African Americans in the South, and he was assassinated days later. So Sumner and the radical Republicans, they demanded harsh measures in the South. 
They demanded more protections, civil rights, voting rights for freed men, and the elimination of any Confederate nationalism. They wanted to keep ex-Confederates from gaining political offices, from undoing the North's moral victory. And over the next decade, black Americans were voting in huge numbers. They elected 22 black men to serve in Congress, and they helped elect Ulysses S. Grant. The Southern Confederates, they responded with black coats. Laws designed to control Americans through a similar system to slavery. And in response, Sumner co-authored the Civil Rights Act of 1865. He did that with John Mercer Langston, who was the founding dean of the law school at Howard University. And that bill passed one year after Sumner's death. It was never enforced. That would be the last civil rights legislation passed for nearly a century. Sumner's friends were always worried about his safety. They warned him, temper your statements. And Sumner left them with this parting advice. When crime and criminals are thrust before us, they are to be met by all the energies that God has given us, by argument, scorn, sarcasm, and denunciation. From the beginning of our history, the country has been afflicted with compromise. It is by compromise that human rights have been abandoned, have been abandoned.
abolition, 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 abolition. abolition.